just around the corner. And yet there are still a few months before us, a few months before them, and a few months before us parents to adjust the focus. But before I uh, get into uh, our Bible lesson for today, I want to say how honored and privileged I feel as one of the parents of the seniors to stand before you to break the word of God. Many people came up this morning and said, uh, why aren't you in Battle Creek? Well, of course, I have a very good reason to not be in Battle Creek this morning, and I'm, I am very happy that uh, the, my, my boss, the uh, secretary of the General Conference, was uh, kind and understanding enough to let me actually be away from uh, the events that are taking place right now. But soon enough, I will be traveling to Battle Creek and walking with the saints into an atmosphere that is predictably going to be charged and where the weather is going to be stormy. And so therefore, it comes perhaps as a coincidence that not only does the message that uh, God has placed on my heart this morning get a frame in a stormy picture, but that also represents the message that he has placed on my heart many months ago when I was approached for the first time to think about what to say to our senior class this morning. And let me say right off the bat that this is not a message that I feel compelled to address to my daughter under the, the question, what is your focus? Because thankfully, she is very focused. She is a disciplined student, and she already knows her Savior. But it is certainly a message that we should all take to heart. Whether we're seniors, or whether we are members of a community of Christians who are walking in a time and place of history that is challenging to say the least. It is challenging because everything in our environment tries to take our focus away, if we have a focus, from what life is all about and from what our eternal destiny is all about. I mean, everything and anything is there to attract our attention, to take our eyes off what we're supposed to do and to be in this day and age. I turned off uh, my phone a moment ago because I did not want to be disturbed by a ping or a message that would all of a sudden take my focus away from what I'm supposed to be doing up here. And I trust that my focus will remain where it's supposed to be, which is on the Word of God and what Jesus has done for us. And of course, I hope and trust that 
this congregation here, as well as the seniors who are sitting with us today, have done the same thing. Turn your phone off for just a few minutes, if you will, and try to concentrate on what lesson might be in the next few minutes. And by the way, I want to uh, thank very much uh, uh, Pastor Chad and Jessica Moon for the, the, the wonderful words that you have addressed to our young people this morning. Love you. Thank you. I could almost uh, leave it at that because those words were powerful enough to, uh, for us to have something to go back home and think about. But this morning I want to take you to a story in the gospel which is a very well-known story. It's the story that is captioned, Jesus walks on the water. And I actually started to expound this story this morning with the first congregation at nine o'clock, starting with the account of the story in Mark chapter six. And what I found out when I looked at Mark chapter six, was that contrary to my expectation, which is that Mark, Mark's story, Mark's gospel, is actually Peter's gospel. Meaning that Peter told this story to his young friend Mark, and that is you know, a pretty broad consensus among Bible scholars. Contrary to expectations, the story of Peter walking on water is not in Mark's gospel. Now we may wonder why. Maybe he was just too embarrassed by that story. Maybe he didn't want to, you know, uh, do what he did when he stepped out of the boat, which was to, you know, play the big guy who is afraid of nothing because he had learned better. But Mark's story is an interesting story in as much it gives us a very succinct plan of action that Jesus unfolded as he launched a rescue action for his disciples who were at loss on a stormy sea. And I'm just going to summarize what I said this morning and then we will pivot to the account of Matthew, and there we will find Peter in all his glory. So let me just summarize in five steps what takes place in Mark's account. Mark tells us that Jesus went up to pray. Mark is someone who loves action. So it's bang, bang, bang. Jesus went up to do what? To pray. And what did he pray about? If you read the few verses that precede this story, Jesus had just multiplied the bread and the fish and fed a, a, a crowd of thousands. But at the end of uh, that beautiful, gorgeous day, he noticed that something was going wrong. There was talk of making him the king of Israel. And that he could not 
allow to happen. I mean, after all, he had fed thousands of people. He had healed them. He had spoken words of hope. Who did the disciples think would be better qualified to be the king of Israel? But yet his hour had not yet come. However, there was enough of a wave of admiration and support for this thing to get off the track. And so he dismissed everybody, including his disciples, in ways that would not allow any dispute. He would send them home and put his disciples on a boat while he would go up the mountain to pray for them that they would understand that life is not all about politics, but love, life is about service, ministry, and most of all, about salvation. Jesus knew how stormy the hearts of his disciples were. And he allowed for this storm to come down on them while he was praying. But that, the next verb, the next action that Jesus that Mark underlines is that Jesus saw. And what did he see? He saw from afar how his disciples were rowing and toiling. But he did not do anything until the fourth watch of the night, which is between three and six o'clock in the morning. And you can imagine how exhausted those disciples must have been. How desperate they must have been. And so in the fourth watch of the night, the text then says, he went out to them, and then he just adds, walking as if that was the most natural thing in the world, walking on the water. But the most important thing is he went out to them. And then the next step was he spoke to them. And he said, it is I, don't be afraid. Ah, that familiar voice must have been such a source of strength in a moment of desperation. Have you ever picked up the phone and heard the familiar voice of a loved one in a time of crisis saying, it's me? And you don't, know, you don't need to ask who it is, but you just know who it is and you recognize a voice that is going to bring you support, affirmation, solace. But then, as I said, in the account of Mark, there's no mention of Jesus calling Peter to walk out on water. So we have to switch to the Gospel of Matthew. And there we find, Matthew, uh, with, we find Peter going like, if it's you, then tell me to come out to you. Chapter 14 of Matthew. Verse 28, tell me to come out to you. And we can just imagine what's going on through his mind. I mean, who in his right mind would say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to come out to you on the water, in this weather. It's hard enough to stay dry on this boat without going out on the waves. 
I don't know if uh, Peter was in his right mind or whether he was just so relieved to hear Jesus' voice that he needed to have that confirmation that it is really the real Jesus in flesh and blood and not just a ghost of his figment of his imagination. And Jesus says, and that is the sixth action that he, said, that he performs, come out. And you can just imagine now Peter going like, trying to test whether that water is going to carry him. And to his surprise, it does. And he walks. I had, a, I had a nightmare one day. And in my nightmare, I saw myself walking on water. You know, at the beginning, as I was dreaming, it was a rather exhilarating feeling. And perhaps it was, you know, a sense of uh, having a certain mastery in life. And I'm just psychoanalyzing myself now, you know, that, you know, there are times when you just feel good that the, the ground beneath your feet is solid. And you walk. But then in my dream, in order to stay on top of the water, I had to go like this with my arms, just flapping like, like I had wings. And of course, the, 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 the more I walked, the faster I had to flap because I just started to feel myself sinking. And I had that sinking feeling that eventually woke me up. And I went like, wow, thank God I'm not out there on the water. And perhaps, however, this is something that we all experience in our lives. We feel that the ground is starting to let go of you and that you're starting to sink. You're losing the control of a situation. You are taking a risk that all of a sudden seems to be too much for you to be born and to be carried further. Now, class of 2019, you are going to have to step out of the boat at some point in the near future. That boat is the security of your family home. You will have to decide on what path to take, and it may all look very stormy in your life as you try to make those decisions. You may have to take risks that may overwhelm you. And in fact, your whole experience between now and the time you graduate from high school and further beyond the time that you graduate from college may very well be an experience that is going to be stormy. I certainly remember mine. And I remember that shortly before graduating from college, I had a senior, a senior leader of the church who crossed my path on the campus of the college, asked me, so Claude, how was your experience here? And my short and laconic answer, which he quoted in the graduation address that he gave the next morning, was, it was like being in a storm in a teacup. 
This is what it is when you're young. It is like you're in a storm of all kinds of feelings and, and, and ideas and, 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 and young people coming and going in your lives, friends, one day, defriended the next day. A storm is coming, I can guarantee you. And you may just be starting to feel the, the, the breeze, you know, picking up pace as you have to think more and more about what's coming and you're not sure whether that ground is going to hold you. You're not sure whether it is right for you to step out and walk in that direction. Well, if the story of Peter is in the Bible, it is to give us courage. Because if Jesus called Peter out, it was not to set him up for failure. If Jesus called Peter out, it was not to let him sink after a few steps. But it was to show his kindness to him. However, it could not be before Peter realized his own need that he could stretch out his hand and then the seventh and last action that Jesus did was to grab hold of him and climb into the boat and as soon as he was in the boat the weather, the winds abated and calm returned on the lake. And I think there is an amazing story here of perfection. Jesus had undertaken an action to save his disciple that was to end up in what? In peace. Peace. Rest. Class of seniors, you are going to step out of the boat soon. And the question is, what is your focus going to be? The, the text is very clear that Peter lost his focus on Jesus. And that is what brought him into a situation of panic. Ellen White writes about this story. By the way, it's a beautiful story. You can write, uh, read it in uh, chapter 40 of Desire of Ages. That a wave came up between Peter and Jesus so that Peter actually lost sight of Jesus. And in that moment, he turned back to the boat hoping to see their strength and perhaps assurance. And that's the moment when basically he lost it. What is going to be your focus? Is it going to be just to drift along with the crowd? Or do you have a focus that is clear? And if you have a clear focus, do you realize that behind that focus, you have to have a focus on Jesus? Because if something comes between you and Jesus, you may start to have that sinking feeling which I had at the end of my nightmare that all of a sudden, you don't know what's holding you anymore. 
And by the way, I have news for you. Stepping out of the boat is only the beginning of a long, long race. Unlike in the story that we have here, it wasn't just a few feet between Peter and Jesus that separated them. What is separating you from your goals is a long distance. So you will be in for a marathon and not just for a walk to your goal. A marathon. It will require endurance, perseverance, determination, strength, and discipline. Let me tell you something about a marathon specialist whom I had the privilege to meet a few years ago. I don't know if uh, you may recall the 2012 London Olympics. Anybody is a fan of sports here watching the Olympics? There are a few. I was watching on Sunday morning the end of the marathon race in London. And there were two guys in front of the race. There was one man from Kenya who was at the top of the race and another man from Uganda just behind him. And they had kept a steady pace going and going until all of a sudden, 26 seconds before reaching the goal, the man from Kenya was taken over by the uh, man from Uganda and lost the opportunity to win the gold medal. But something unusual happened. When the man from Kenya crossed the line, he received his national flag with which he draped himself and then literally dropped on his knees, joined hands and looked up in front of hundreds of millions of people around the world watching him. And I thought, wow, this man must be a Christian. And what a strength and what courage to witness of his faith in such a way at the end of a long race which he lost. And time went on until a few months later, I heard through the grapevine that this Kenyan man who goes by the name of Abel Kirui, K-I-R-U-I, is actually a Seventh-day Adventist. And now I kind of understood why this man had the strength in spite of an exhausting race and in spite of losing it, of dropping on his knees to thank God for what he had been able to accomplish. At the time I was the associate publisher for the Adventist World magazine, so I decided to pay him a visit in Africa to try to find out what this man is made of. Who is he? I caught up with him at his home in Kapsabet, just outside of the campus of our beautiful university there, Baraton University. I had uh, set up an appointment with him, brought a photographer with me, and no sooner had, did he open the door that he literally came out bouncing off his house. It was like he, he was on springs. And he said, uh, well, are you ready? And we went like, ready for what? Well, I'm going for my training. 
So we hopped on his uh, old car, Jalopy, and went up the road to a place where he used to train all the time. Every day he trains on that road. And believe me, he, he, he ran like it was amazing. In training, he was, uh, he was uh, clocking a time that uh, approached world record, as a matter of fact. So I said to him as part of my interview, what is it like for you to be a Christian athlete at that level? And he said to me, you know, I pray every morning. In fact, I get up at very early, at six o'clock in the morning. I pray for an hour, read my Bible during that time, and then I go out to train with one focus. I want to honor God. I want to run for him. And then he said, my second focus is my family. I run for my family. And my third focus is I run for my country. He had his plan straight. Run for God, family, and country. And as a result of that uh, and of his training, he became the world champion in the marathon in 2009 in, in Berlin, in 2011 again in, uh, in South Korea, and went on to win many international races, the most recent one in 2016, the Chicago Marathon, and in 2017, he came in second. You can look him up. He is a remarkably dedicated and focused man. And he doesn't forget that he is there to witness for Christ. So much so that he told me that um, several years ago he had befriended a young female athlete in the training camp that the, national, that the um, Kenyan government maintains for athletes. And um, because of his enthusiasm, because of his energy, because of his Christian walk and vital connection with God every morning. He said very naturally, well, why don't you come to church with me? I'm going to church on Sabbath, and come with me. She accepted. She came to church, and there in church, she met her future husband, an Adventist. And she decided to become a Seventh-day Adventist. And those two decisions, getting married and getting baptized in the church, provided a foundation for her life, which made her an international athlete in her own right. She also won the silver medal in London in 2012, and has won many international marathons, the most recent one in New York, the New York Marathon in 2016, I believe. Her name, if you wanna look her up, is Priska Jepto. Two international marathon runners of the highest caliber are Seventh-day Adventists and happy to run for their God, for their family, and for their country. They have their focus straight. Of course, they go through ups and downs as every athlete must. Sometimes they suffer an injury that puts them out of commission for a few months. Sometimes they don't get the right training or the right food, and so 
the victory in the race slips away. But they have their focus right. And I pray and trust, young people, seniors of 2019, that as you will step out of the boat, you will stay with your focus on Christ. And everything else will take care of itself. He will give you that strength. He will give you that protection. And he will give you the victory at the end of the race. Remember, it's not just a short, short walk. It is a marathon. You are on it now. You have another eight months until you graduate. And I know that these eight months are going to challenge you. They're going to feel exhausting at times, perhaps even discouraging, but you will make it by the grace of God. And over beyond that, you will engage into another race, which this time will take you four years. And if all goes well, and if you stay focused, you will make it to the finish line as well. As for our church today, may we also stay focused on what matters. Let us not mix up our priorities. It is so easy to do. So easy to be distracted by the politics of the world, by the politics of the church, to the point of being so discouraged as to say, hey, who needs this? I'm just going to stay home. I don't need to come back to church. And I'm saying this very carefully. There are right now many souls who are pondering whether to just leave the boat because of the politics and the atmosphere and the weather and the storms that are falling on us. For those of us who watch us from afar and who may be wondering what to do after these next few days in Battle Creek if they bring us bad news, and those bad news may be this way or that way depending on where you stand. For those of us who are wondering you know, what to do, whether this is still the church they believe in, this is still the church they want to belong to, you better stay in the boat. It is safer than out on the water. You better stay focused on what really matters, which is Jesus your savior, and not whatever waves of disappointment may wash over you as you, you, you try to find your way on the stormy waves. May we all remain faithful with the focus that Jesus invites us to have. His eyes are on us. He watches us. So let us think also of watching him and keeping our eyes on him.